Welcome to episode 3 of We Walk the Earth, a Nodalab original podcast, produced by myself, Sergio Isaura. Today's guest is the art and photography director for Atmos magazine and founder of Native Agency, an online platform that elevates the work of image makers from underrepresented communities around the globe. She has led creative teams for NPR, World Press Photo, Art Amsterdam and Revolt magazine. Under the alias Lola Villa, she DJs and produces electronic music for diverse stages internationally. Please welcome to the show, Laura Beltran. This is We Walk the Earth. Enjoy. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm very happy. Yeah, uh, me too. I'm really excited. What motivates you about the future? About the future? Yeah. Is this like the first uh, the yeah. first question? You know, working in environmental issues, in like social justice issues and being an artist myself, I always sort of like think about our legacy as mm -hmm. human beings and me personally, like what type of legacy do we want to leave behind? Because mm -hmm. I do think that there's going to be a point in our future where we're not going to be here as a species if I, I'm just really like realistic. But I feel that that gives me hope to create mm -hmm. and to do things, you know, from art to putting relevant stories out there. It kind of like drives what I do, just the idea that the future has a limit, that there's a limit to our existence. Yeah. And yeah. that gives me hope. Hmm. I get it. And apart from also creating beautiful things, you help other people create beautiful things. Sure. I do feel that like as an artist, part of, you know, making your own art, but also engaging in the community somehow, I do feel that that is sort of my, my role as a human being, as a someone who identifies as a woman, as a migrant, hmm. as a, yeah, just as someone with a certain privilege in this world to do something, hmm. build community. Yes. In the different projects you've worked and like the different countries you've worked, is there any like special memory or thought you have on like engaging face to face with communities? Because you've done a lot of work for online platforms. Yes. But also workshops. I mean, I, I do feel that, and this is all before COVID, you know, building community online is crucial because there's so many people by themselves, like mm -hmm. right now and also before. However, putting people together in real time, in, in real life, is that's when the magic happens. And I started, when I lived in Buenos Aires in 2009, I gave workshops, photo and English workshops in, you know, marginalized communities and in like barrios. And that was amazing, you know, learning through, you know, community building, workshop building. That was incredible. So that's when I kind of like started to understand like the power of being there on the ground. With ground people. level. Yeah. Nice. And also like the other side of it, working for online platforms has a lot of reach. For sure. I mean, I, I was a one woman platform back in Amsterdam and within six months we were on the New York Times and that exploded what we were doing and, and that got us so much visibility. And sometimes people think there were this legacy agency and we're just like a group of you know volunteers, everyone in a different country. Was we're, that with photography also? Yeah, that was with Native. 
Ah, okay. Yeah, when we launched and just understanding the power of communication, the power of social media, that type of visibility was game changer, you know. Do you want to tell me a little bit about Native? Yes. So I started as a photographer when I was really, really young. And then I got into photo editing and working with photographers, which I really, really love. And eventually when I was in Europe, I ended up working for World Press Photo, which is like one of the, it's like the Pulitzer of photojournalism. And very quickly, I started to see that a lot of the winners were white men from Europe and the U.S., and that they will like travel to our countries, you know, Mexico, Colombia, and take pictures and then go back and win prizes and, you know, get on the front page of the New York Times or National Geographic. So I kind of started to understand that there was a disparity in representation, but there was also a disparity in what type of stories from our regions were being put out there in the world. So there was a lack of like representation. There was also a visual aesthetic that did not really represent who we who we are or who we were and like the intricacies of our people. It didn't really give a proper face to the multi-cultures of, let's say, Latin America, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is that local artists, local photographers, they want to replicate what they see. So they end up, you know, photographing the dead body and the blood and the poverty and the you know, the bug in the, on the, on the face of the child and like the dirty children. And it's just like, yeah. yo man, like this is over. You like, build on this, like, on this of... like visual legacy, yeah. you see, because that's, that's what gets you the prices. That's what gets you like the photo on the front cover of the Washington Post, whatever. So, and then I started thinking about like, how can we build a community where we can represent ourselves, right? Like as Latino photographers and Latino artists, instead of, waiting for an agency in New York to like hire us. And that's where Native came from, from this idea of self-representation, of ownership of our narrative, ownership of our visual aesthetic, self-representation, and just to like change the power dynamics in, in the photo industry. Yeah. Diversity will save us, I think. Kind of. I mean, we, back in the day when I started no one really cared about diversity. No one really cared about, you know, Latino photographers or African photographers or Asian photographers. It wasn't really a question. So I was able to ride that wave of interest. Not really interest, but like people started to realize that they couldn't do it anymore. Like yeah. they had to start hiring people from our region. Sharing the spotlight with, you know, like yeah. other... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of, in a nutshell, the story of Native. And where is Native standing right now? So Native has evolved into many different things. And now it's like online community of nearly 100 photographers from, you know, Asia, Latin America and Africa, but also like the African diaspora. We have, you know, minorities, marginalized genders from all over the world. So we're really opening up to more people. We build community. That's kind of like priority number one is to build community, to show talent across the world, to make sure that people see us or see the talent. And yeah, every now and then we're like organizing workshops or mentorships. We're focusing a lot on environmental photography and how to nurture photographers of color, or like Latino photographers, African photographers that cover environmental issues, but from like an artistic lens. Like it it doesn't always have to be Nat Geo. It doesn't always have to be like a science magazine. So we're trying to like nurture new ways of thinking visually that cover 
you know, it can be fashion and climate change, and it can be something that is related to water or any other type of resource that could be used in a very creative way. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the next step. And it, it also works as a database for people to yeah. go and exactly to find for, find yeah. talent. Yeah. If someone is like, oh, that's I need amazing. someone in like Ecuador, then mm -hmm. they can just go on our website and then they'll have like a three names from people nice. from Ecuador. Nice. And you are curating like the visual identity of native? Of native itself? Yeah. You mean? I mean, we had a we had a solid creation of our visual identity at the mm -hmm. beginning. I feel that we're still very documentary and mm -hmm. I want us to step away a little bit from documentary and really get into art mm -hmm. and really get into art photography. So I think that's the next step. Nice. You've organized shows, right? Yeah, I've curated exhibitions. We're now curating an exhibition with the Berlin School of Photography and a few other institutions in Berlin mm -hmm. to be exhibited. I mean, <laughs> we tried last year, but that didn't work. We're going to try this year to work with Berlin's town hall mm -hmm. to exhibit some work over there. So there's a lot of like interest in, in environmental photography coming from Germany, mm. of course. Huh? Yes. <laughs> And I think it's an all-female team. Yes, right? which is crazy. I love it. Yeah. I mean, this is not because we asked for it. I mean, I started with a with a guy from Colombia and then that didn't work out. But yeah, I mean, I believe that the new form of leadership in any aspect of in any business, the future of it is more matriarchal. No, mm -hmm. it's more not because I want more women leading per se, but it's just this type of mentality that acknowledges the community and thinks more horizontally than vertically. Yeah. So instead of having like one alpha male leader that everyone looks up to, it's more of like a horizontal structure. And I feel that a lot of the women that I know in my life or more feminine identifying human beings, they have this sense of nurturing or like sharing of, you know, horizontal structures. And that's that's crucial for an organization like Native, you know, where like ego doesn't really play much of a role. It's more of like, okay, how can we make sure that the whole works? Like if this is a hive, how can we make sure that we're all work getting somewhere together, right? And yeah, funny enough, we have only women on the organizing team. Yes, we need that everywhere, I think. Yeah, we see that with COVID, right? You know, the types of leadership that are moving their countries forward and the types of leaders that are really making a mess out of it. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump to the music side of your life, uh, how it relates to all this more visual side, I would say. Um, yeah. The photography, the right. art, helping visual artists get a little more of the spotlight. What's the meeting point of those two worlds? Like DJing, music production, traveling, playing around in festivals, and then the other side. That's a great question. You're and standing in the middle. I'm definitely in the middle. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny because before COVID hit, I was partnering with Amazon Watch. Uh -huh. This is right when the Amazon was like burning and it was like horrible news. I partnered with them and I started to create sort of like 
audiovisual experiences on the dance floor so that my visuals would be shown during my shows and there would be like a lot of narrative like sub narratives within the DJ set or the yeah the DJ set in this case so it was not like it was like a documentary but it was more of like a curated visual show that had some hints of like social justice and environmental issues it was like a like a hero's journey so you would like enter the club and there would be like weird messages in the bathroom and then the the bar would have like another message and then the visuals would be like yo this shit is kind of interesting mm. or you know it's trippy and i don't need to be 100% focused on what i'm seeing because i just want to dance and have fun however there's something happening here and yeah. i wanted people to go back home being like yo that shit was dope i i'm going to look it up and then mm. get the full picture of what i was doing on the dance floor and so I ended up working with the Museum of Pop Culture in mm -hmm. Seattle. We had an amazing show there. Yeah, I saw that. That looked yeah. amazing. Just, dude. <laughs> like a big dome. The Yeah, it was on. a huge dome. And like the screen was, I don't know, it was like 50 times my size. Yeah. You would see stunning imagery from the Amazon and it was just overwhelming. It was just all over. And that was huge. That was so cool. But that, and then COVID hit. So now I'm just starting trying to think how to do things where both worlds come together but considering what's their new reality and yeah like the gigs went down i mean everything got canceled yeah. i mean this is the case for all artists yeah. right but like i remember in march just coming back home and being like all my gigs are canceled yeah i just at the beginning i was like okay i guess it's fine <laughs> but then eventually i understood how much performing life meant to me and how much I missed it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, you give a lot of good times and energy to the people, but also it comes back to you. Yeah. So when you stop doing it for a long time, if it's a month or something, like, okay, it's manageable, but then, like, not eating well for a year and a half, then your body's like, well, what's happening? Also, like, your feelings are missing something of that sharing. Yeah. But now you're making more music. I mean, I had to get that source of energy from somewhere else. And I understood mm -hmm. that it had to be from myself. And then I was just like, okay, this is, I actually told my, there was a moment at the beginning where I said, okay, what do I need to do to make this thing the best thing that ever happened to me? Mm. What needs to happen for me to feel fulfilled at the end? And be like, yo, that shit that you did during COVID, that was dope. That like future Lola can be like, okay, right. you didn't play a show, but <laughs> hey, you bake this thing, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. this beautiful AP or album or whatever. So it's been a completely different journey, like inward, right? You also moved from the States to Mexico in that. Yeah, in the middle. Like during, yeah. In the middle of COVID. That's a big move. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to move before COVID. Okay. I already planned to move. I think I told you. But then COVID hit and obviously the shade, the fan, everything went to shed. Yeah. So there was a moment of fear. And then. In August of last year, I was like, okay, I need to stop making decisions out of fear. 2020 is the year of fear. And what we were just saying, if I die, I die, but I just can't, can't continue with this life here. It's just not sustainable for me. Hmm. So I said, okay, if I just change this mechanism and get rid of the fear for a moment, can I make it happen? Can I still start a life in Mexico and and see how that, you know, how the country will treat me. 
and see if I can make music there and see if I feel inspired to be an artist there and to keep on working in photography and art and, and music. And I did it. I came in September and it's been incredible so mm. far. I mean, obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. It's still yeah. horrible. I I'm really surprised that I haven't been sick. Like mm -hmm. it, it really blows my mind. But I mean, I'm knock on wood, I'm doing well. And I go outside and people talk to me and they're like, oh, where are you from? I was like, Colombia. And they're like, oh my God, I love it. Nah, nah, nah. And I just not having to prove that I'm an interesting person because I'm Colombian, it's mind blowing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, totally. Do you feel you came back home a bit? Because you've yeah. lived in lots of places. Yeah. Uh, it feels like home. You're from Colombia. Yeah. So you're like, hey, welcome, welcome. It feels like I'm in a different city, but in my country. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I feel that there's so many things that we share as countries, but there's also a lot of things that are different. So I feel like in a foreign city, but in my own, in, like, I feel at home. Absolutely. Before that, you were in Washington, then Amsterdam. I was, just, yeah. So DC, Washington, DC, New York. Amsterdam for years. Then before that, I was in Berlin, where I started DJing and really getting into music there. I was in Brussels, I was in London, and then Buenos Aires, that I told you, 2009, mm. and then Colombia. That must really make some nice changes in your way of looking at things and people and relating to like the environment. I mean, I, I think we had we had a really interesting conversation when I was at your place the other day about how you know, Europeans, they are at like a different frequency. Yeah. They're just thinking like a different wavelength. Americans do the same and we are at our own. We have our own frequencies. We, there's so much shit that happened to us. Mm -hmm. We're still digesting, yeah. you know, yeah, as, yeah. as a community. Yeah. Like, I mean, Europeans are fucking chilling because they took, you know, everything from us. Yeah. So, of course, they can think about fast speed trains <laughs> and marijuana in your soda. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, and we're here just like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, vaccines, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So there is something about being in a different speed that I enjoy seeing and being a little bit more aware and having a little bit more patience for, I don't know, the structural issues in our countries. Right. And then also being a little bit more critical of Europe. You know, instead yeah. of just looking up to Europe or looking up to the U.S., just being a little more, yeah, just more critical. It's like mm. not everything is the shit in the U.S., you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we can go back to what you said before about white male leading the industries, like the photography industry, the music industry, but Like you everything. go to ADD, A ADE? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, ADE yeah. is a bunch of white dudes yeah. all wearing black, all <laughs> talking about the industry. And it's just like, the shit needs to stop, you know? Like, it's boring. Yeah, I saw this photograph of, I think, Germany's diversity council. And it's just like all white men and one white woman. Yeah, it's really sad. It's, yeah. Even like Crazy. in France, the French... They have like a new minister of education and it's like, oh my God, it's so diverse. Da, 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 da. And yeah. it's just like one white woman. Yeah. So <laughs> <you Yeah. know? laughs> it's like, do you really? Yeah. Now that we're talking about diversity and it popped to my mind, what do you think is most dangerous about comfort? You know, like not changing, not stepping into new ideas, new places, new ways of managing society, uh, companies. And diversity? Yeah, I mean, I just think about this because it must be uncomfortable to change. Oh, yeah, people don't want to change. No? Because yeah. it's like, oh, it feels nice here. At least I haven't 
experienced anything else. So I think this is comfortable. Well, the thing is, is that it's all about power, right? Mm. Lack of diversity is about power. Like who has power and who doesn't. Yeah. And whoever has the power, they just want to keep having power. Mm-hmm. So if you come into an organization and you're like, yo, that shit is whack. So you're questioning power. That's that's going to be trouble. Right. Yeah. And that's what diversity sort of like represents. That happened to me a lot in the U.S., like my own experience as a migrant, as, you know, all the luggage that we talked about. Yeah. I would come into a place and ask so many questions and I would interrogate power. And that is why there's this lack of wanting to change and wanting yeah. to have difficult conversations because you're basically questioning systems of power, right? Mm. I was having a conversation with my landlord, who's this Mexican guy, and he's He's just, you know, very white looking. And then he would come to me and be like, oh, I had this fight with my friend. And uh, she's a really good friend of mine, but she just, she just called me heterosexual white dude. <laughs> and I was like, uh, but you are a, a heterosexual white guy, no? And, it, and he's like, yeah, but like, why does she have to call me that? <laughs> just so rude. And I'm like, but like, what's what's up with that? You yeah. know, the fact that you can walk around and not ever think about the fact that you're a heterosexual white mm. dude is the biggest privilege out there. Yeah. I think about the fact that I'm a woman every single time. Mm. Am I dressed well enough? Am I asking for it? Am I like when I perform, right? Mm. So when I say that to him or when this lady told him like, hey, you're a heterosexual white dude, she's basically questioning his power. And he's being like, oh, what? You know, like, what's going on here? Like, why? Like, why am I the bad person now? Mm -hmm. I love women. I don't know. (laughs) Whatever, you know. And that, I think that is the issue. But that's why conversations like this one are so crucial, you Mm -hmm. know, just to have. Especially with people that identify as men or Mm -hmm. have never understood what is the privilege of walking around with a penis. You know, like, what does that give you? And you said that when you arrived at the States, you encountered this like forces. Do you feel it changed from when you got there to when you came here to Mexico? I mean, a lot happened in the United States the past three years. A lot. So flipped around and then rolled and then flipped again. Yeah. I mean, I used to look down when I used to live in Europe. I'll be like, oh, yeah, America, you know. Pobrecitos, no? <laughs> but when I lived there, when I lived in the U.S., and obviously, like, everything that happened the past three years, you know, having Trumpism as yeah. leader and then having, you know, George Floyd being killed and, like, the whole shebang that exploded, I feel like the United States is going through this, like, really bloody, difficult period. But they're going to come out there and it's going to be so much more equitable, than what's going on in Europe, where Europe is like, we did nothing, nothing's going on. Yeah. Like, why are you blaming us? You know? Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of thoughts. Like, it's just going back to the frequencies, right? Like, every every region is has their own frequencies in America. It's just like going like this, but mm-hmm. it's needed. We all need to have those conversations yeah. and really look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, okay, there's there's just so much. History is, you know, something that we really need to look at. Because there are reasons why we are like we are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the U.S. always fascinated me. When I was a teenager, I really, really hated the U.S. You know, like I started to see this and read this like capitalism, George Orwell, and and we're like, ah, Uh, the States, I don't want to go there. And then I started going and then I, I found these amazing people all over. 
Yeah. And then I felt like this melting pot situation that yeah. the US is. And with this melting pot comes a lot of, I want to say like molecular shifting. And yeah, that's what's happening, I think. There's a lot nice movements coming from there, like really strong. Grassroots yeah. movements. You know, we saw the first Native American woman being announced as like uh, Minister of Interior. Uh-huh. We have like strong Latino women mm-hmm. being leaders there. When are you going to see a Latino leader in Spain? Yeah. Forget it, you know? So yeah, there's definitely, I mean, what came from Trumpism is a lot of reaction, a lot of grassroots movements, a lot of women or even trans people like yeah. thinking, okay, we need to, if we're going to change this, we need to be part of like the political game and play it, you know? Yeah. Taking matters in your hands. Yeah. Like getting informed. I really like that about a lot of what's happening in the States. People are starting to realize knowledge brings them more power over their situation, you know? Right. It's funny here in Mexico, I haven't been to too many countries in Latin America, but here in Mexico, I think we have a way of just, you know, like this ignorance is bliss thing. We want to stay in that bliss, but then I'm not going to research about how I can change this or how we can get involved or... It's a big step. I think that knowledge is, again, power. Yeah. Again, right? It's all about yeah. It's all about power. I feel that as a human species, as humans, we were more knowledgeable of power than we were of, like, building civilization. You know what I'm saying? Like, power structures were more prevalent as, you know, before than, mm-hmm. than us being, like, social creatures. And again, ignorance is just... Keeping your powers by making other people ignorant or keeping them ignorant. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about La Malinche, right? Yeah. And how like, oh, like a bunch of Mexicans, they tell me like, yeah, but like she sold herself and she was a traitor and this and that. And it's like, hold on a minute. Let's like really investigate her life. Let's really investigate yeah. the the mechanisms that brought her to where she was. And, you know, how many other women were in that situation that were not given a voice? She doesn't even have a last name. It's yeah. absurd, Right. And why are we blaming her for like everything that the imperialists did, right? El Imperio. Mm-hmm. It's lack of, under, well, it's also understanding that history and history books, especially in Latin America, they're all written in Spain by yeah. Spaniards yeah. with a certain agenda, right? So the way that we understand each other was written by our colonizers, right? So we need to question that, you know, source of information. And be a little bit more open to, indeed, like alternative narratives, right? Like what happened to indigenous communities? Is there something written by indigenous communities? How can we learn from alternative stories and not just take history for granted? Because that's not going to take us anywhere, right? And the same in music. You know, there's so many male identifying people that would tell me like, but I just don't understand why there's no that many women in the industry. Like they can learn. And then I'll be like, well, listen, if like the history of, let's say, electronic music came from sound design, meaning sound. What did you study? Sound engineering. Sound engineering. At the beginning of the studies of sound engineering, like the first faculty of sound engineering, women were not even allowed to study because science was not for women. Exactly. So if you tell that to someone, then they'll be like, oh, okay. Now I kind of understand. Yeah, and, and even when women somehow got into the laboratories and like had a synthesizer in front of them, they did amazing things because there's like a lot of women doing amazing things throughout history. But then the structure 
of media, of documentation, of the prices, of the scholarships, blah, 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 blah. Everything supports men. So then the women that did the amazing things are not going to be out there. Yeah. Do you know Wendy Carlos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, amazing story. Yeah. And it's so inspiring, but like, I mean, we're like nerds in music, but like people don't really know about <laughs> yeah. about them. And how do you feel in the music industry, doing your music, your sound, creating new things? As a woman? Yeah, powerful. I think it's very lonely also. Yeah. You know, I want to see, you know, I love Bjork because she's mm -hmm. one of the few producers that I've looked up to since I was really, really young. But I miss more. Mm. I miss more role models and I miss more young queer, trans, like weird people making yeah. music and just like being elevated for who they are. The lineup of this party that we just talked about, just the same old yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And it's not exciting. And mm -hmm. again, power, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I feel powerful in the sense that I'm finding my voice and that is just dope. But we're not there yet, you yeah. know? Like the music industry, especially electronic music, should reflect on its history. Meaning that electronic music, the warehouse in Detroit and Chicago, I think we talked about this. Mm -hmm. Those were spaces where the quote unquote scum of society would go and be themselves, right? The Latinos, the Blacks, the queers, the gays, mm -hmm. the trans. Drag queens, all these people that were not seen as fully human by society, again, power, would have their lives in all these like underground scenes. And this yeah. is where electronic music came about. If we understand the, the history of techno, you know, how the drum machine was this like alternative language, right? That jazz musicians were told what to play. And then eventually you had, you know, hip hop and house and techno where like, Black musicians would just be like, well, fuck you and your vaults. Let me show you something with the, you know, let me just yeah. like bring some samples and make some beats. Super like anti-power, you know, anti, yeah. Establishment. Like, exactly. Yeah. Anti-establishment. And obviously it's been co-opted by white dudes. Again, yeah. in fucking yeah, Europe, yeah. you know, traveling the world and coming to Mexico and playing yeah. Tulum and doing whatever the fuck they want, you know. So... It's not there yet, you know, like yeah. I feel powerful in the sense that people are taking me seriously mm -hmm. now a little bit, a little bit so that I can elevate more people and have more conversations. Like I feel less scared of questioning power, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a festival or a party organizer and be like, yo, I'm the only woman. What's up? You know, I feel less scared because I have a little bit more leverage. I have a little bit more following. I have a little bit more something to like stand on. I start producing my own music so that gives me a little bit more of just leverage to mm -hmm. to navigate and to elevate more people and and make the industry dope you know yeah. it would definitely get more dope if <laughs> yeah. more women play yeah or yes. more weird people you yeah. know more just yeah, yeah. can we just like have fucking weird towns yeah there's these festivals that even make it a rule to have certain percentage of the lineup like male identifying but also female identifying queer identifying you know like to like actually make yeah, an like effort to open yeah yeah i mean it is yeah i mean quotas it is a way it is a it, it is yeah. a tool there's also like two sides to it it's hard at the end like everyone is trying to yeah you, you want to play along this thing because you want to create something but also you want to change things so how you do you like not break the rules but like bend them towards yeah. also building it's very interesting i think that's it okay on my side Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to you 
here in Mexico. Yeah, looking forward to playing good damn music yes. soon. Yes, <laughs> we did our first back-to-back -back Oh my god, Christmas yeah, Christmas Day, Day. With my family. I hadn't played in such a long time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really hope that we get to go to a dance floor soon. Yes. Get to play some gigs again. Maybe your festival again. I'm really looking forward to festivals again. Yes. I really miss that. But yeah, in the meantime, we're building, we're, you know, questioning yeah. power online. Yes, and making music. And making a lot of music. Thank you, Laura. That was Laura Beltran. If you want to take a dive into Laura's work and music, you can follow the links in the show notes of this episode. In today's Poetry Forest, Virginia Virilier shares with us In the Streets of My Ideals, written by herself. In the streets of my ideals, the acceptance of dualities will set you free. Binary thinking died when the last dollar lost its value. We won the war by living joyfully. Come in. Walk with me into the fire. Don't be fooled. This is not what desire looks like. Women are free here, but not free in the sense that they fuck around for validation so that a man can say that they are liberated. Free in the sense that they do what they want with their bodies. No blurred nipples and accusation of obscenity. Body is body. There is no prison here so that there is no talk of freedom. Liberation is a sensation undefined in the mind. Let's keep walking. Those two men sit on the pavement playing chess with their rights. Here, they are never at stake. Here, we sing of glory days when love was a cage and all we had was rage. Here, take this skirt. Wear it on thighs of whatever size you decide where to cut. Its length won't determine whether you're called a prude or a slut. It will not buy anyone a free ticket inside your womb. The only blood this body will know is that of your mother's uterus lining on the day you were born. You are safe here from judgment, from lies, from gentle cries of laughter and reverse fuckery of the celebration of Women's Day. Because we have rights, so we play every fucking day. Here, take a seat at this table. You will never get used to what you were never able. There is space here for him and her and them all are welcome. There is no death penalty where every life matters. On the streets of my ideals, the sensuous echo of a divisive path lingers only in their air. There is no more despair, only love. In the Streets of My Ideals was written by Virginia Vigliar. Please support her and follow her inspiring work through the links in the show notes. We Walk the Earth is a Nora Lab original, produced by me, Sergio Isauro. The music you hear in this episode was produced by Lola Villa and Tejedor. Poetry Forest by Virginia Vigliar. Editing by Miguel Andrade. Mixing by Aldo Leiva. Executive Production by Jorge González. 
please subscribe and share this journey with the people you love. Until next time.